Happy Labor Day weekend. Great to be together. As you guys know, I like to start with a good laugh, and I heard a funny pastor joke this weekend from another pastor. Thought I'd pass that on to you. So here it is. Up in heaven, God looks at all the married men and says, men, I need you to get in two lines. I need you to be honest with me. One line is for all the men who took my word and decided to actually step up and be the leader of the house. You get in this line. All you other men who, you know, didn't do that and you, you, you made your wife be the leader, you get in this line. Go ahead. The men get in lines. The line where the, the men who had their wife be the leader is 100 miles long. The line where the man actually stood up and was the leader is one man. And so God looks and goes, guys, he looks at the big line, guys, I'm ashamed. You know, why did you do that? He looks over and goes, son, I am so proud of you. Would you tell all these other men how you managed to be the one guy in this line? The guy looks all confused and goes, I don't know. My wife just told me to come stand here. You know, we're starting this unlikely series this morning, and uh, you know, we all, we all have those moments. Have you had one of those where you get a text, and it just kind of sucks the life out of your day? You're like, oh, man. And, and, and sometimes they stem from those relationships in our life that have been painful or disappointing or challenging or, or frustrating, and uh, last month I got one of those. I was uh, in a conference in Texas, and I'm, you know, I'm getting my worship on and I'm getting all fired up. And then this text comes through, and I see a name, and and Joel actually sent it to me, uh, and, and it was a shared contact of someone who years before had kind of broken my heart. And, and I've I've changed the name uh, out of honor, but. Uh, I'll call him Frank. I, I get the contact number, and Joel's saying, um, hey, you should give Frank a call. He's back in town. And it immediately brought up some some just sadness in my heart because here was the story with Frank. He was this uh, unique guy, marched to the beat of his own drum, never knew what he was going to do next, had a real magnetism about him. And he had told me that he had a, a call to be an overseas missionary, and, and I'd really taken him in my life. He was a college student. I had discipled him. I had loved him by, like a little brother. I mean, we had hung out so many, so many hours in my house. We had fished together. We had gone overseas together. But I also knew this. Frank had had a, a challenging past. He didn't really know his dad. And uh, in, in the midst of Frank becoming a leader and just really shining for Jesus, all of a sudden he started dating a girl who wasn't walking with the Lord. And next thing I knew, he was getting into sin with her, and then he moved in with her. And I just watched little by little as Frank's fire for the Lord started to diminish and then I remember Frank saying, you know, I don't know if I really believe that God still moves today. And then he, he stopped being a leader. And then he stopped actually showing up at church. And, and, and about the last thing I remember, Frank was doubting his whole faith. And I, I'd call him kind of month after month. I'd really challenged him and said, hey, Frank, we want you around. And, and then he stopped taking my calls. And about a year later, I ran into him. And, and, and instead of him coming back, he said, hey, Robert, I'm kind of mad at you because you didn't chase after me. 
And I was like, actually, I did, man. I, I called you once a month. And that was basically the end of our friendship. And I haven't seen him for years. And so now I'm getting a text from him and hearing from Joel that he's come back, you know, and I'm trying to be the, the kind, loving Christian and be excited, but you know, it's kind of hard on my heart, but you know, I ended up, oh, thank you, God, you're gracious. And, and I thought, you know, maybe I passed that test. Then I get a call from my pastor and he's like, I got to tell you about Frank. And I'm like, oh, he's like, Frank's come back. Frank ended up marrying that girl that he had run off with. They're following God. He has numerous kids. He's actually become the, the top, one of the top guys in all the nation in his profession, in his field. And he said he wanted to move back to Texas, join our church so I could disciple him. And I'm like, that's great. And, and he goes, and I've made him the leader of our big ministry. And, and I'm like, that's awesome. And, and it reminded me once again, you know, that God is different than we are. That God uses the unlikely. And that God's a God who, who sees things differently, and God's a God of second chances. And in, in this church, you're often hearing testimonies about people who got their lives transformed. You're often hearing about miracles and, and incredible deliverances. But what if you're in this room today who's saying, I'm still in my struggle? Or I don't feel like one of those people that has it all together. I'm not being used right now. Or actually, I kind of struggled today. And, and maybe last night I was actually doing something I shouldn't. Like, what if you're one of those people? I want to tell you that the Bible is full of those kind of stories. And that's where we're going to find ourselves as we look at our first unlikely character. His name is Jacob. And we're going to start in the book of Genesis, in chapter 25, starting in verse 21. So if you'd read there with me. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. So these are Jacob's parents, Isaac and Rebecca. It says this, the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire the Lord. Uh, any women that have had children in here, would you just wave your hand? That was a real pleasant experience, right? Those 10 months and then the labor. Okay, so if you ever had morning sickness, imagine this. You actually have twins that are boxing inside of you. Like, talk about morning sickness. This is awful. And so from the very beginning, the first thing we learn about Jacob is he's like fighting his brother in the womb. This is awful. And then it says, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. So you're like, ah, oh, that's great. I've got a divided family. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Kind of sounds like a gremlin or something. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So his name was Jacob. Okay, so here's the deal. What we see about him is like he's already like, no, oh, you're not getting past me. He's like a little crab, you're not getting out, you know, and he's grabbing his brother's heel. So this boy from the beginning is like the problem kid. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you parents, and you wouldn't admit it in church, but maybe you got one of those kids, you're like, this kid only wants to cause problems in my family. 
Like he was born to drive me to Jesus, right? And, uh, or maybe you're like that. You're like, you know, yeah, that's actually kind of how I am. I've always just been a problem person. Well, this, this message is for you. And so the mom goes on to name him Jacob, which means the one who grasps the heel. And it also is a Hebrew idiom for he deceives. So imagine you're born and your mom's like, oh, he's so cute. Let's name him Deceiver. <laughs> like, what the heck? So look at this um, D.L. Moody quote. Can we put that up? This is uh, D.L. Moody was a famous preacher in the 1800s. And I love what he wrote about the life of Jacob. He says, if they were all like Joseph and Joshua and Daniel, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, and a few of those characters that never tripped and fell, that never deviated a hair's breadth, I think it would discourage a good many of us. But when we come to a character like Jacob and we find that God had grace enough to save him, I think there's hope enough for almost any of us I wish he'd take that word almost. For any of us, by nature, he was as bad a character as you will find. So what if you're still in your mess today? What if you're still in an addiction? What if you still know, like, my character is jacked up? I want to tell you that the Bible is full of people like you. And, and you're like, no, that's not me. That's my roommate. Well, the Bible is full of people like your roommate or your spouse. <laughs> here's, here's what I want to highlight. Verse 27, then the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter. Say skillful. Skillful, skillful hunter, a man of the open country. And, and here's what I'd say about this. We know if a man is skillful, if a woman is skillful, then people clamor around them. They want to be around them. They get the first pick on the playground. They're the ones who are the popular ones. Everyone crowds around the skillful and the hunter, right? That's a man's outdoorsman, right? And so here's what this says, though. It says, he's a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. I, I, I wonder if Jacob was like, you know, my brother is so skillful and he's such a man's man that I, I just don't even want to try. I don't even want to compete. I don't, I'm just going to hang out in the tent, right, with, with, with mom. And so it says, Isaac, this is dad, had a taste for wild game and he loved Esau. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, here's what we know from psychologists, and not just Christian psychologists, but all psychologists is they say for a child to know their identity, the most important relationship for them is their father. And what we have going on with Jacob is Jacob knows daddy doesn't love me. Daddy loves Esau. So Jacob's got all these strikes against us and he's not the one who feels love. This is bad news. And just let me tell you really quick, parents in this room, don't play favorites with your kids. That sets them up for failure because the problem is the father loves him because of what he could do for him. And parents, we need to love our kids unconditionally. 
But here's the problem. He's not feeling loved unconditionally. And so what does he do? He becomes a manipulator, a conniver, a deceiver, because he thinks I have to make it happen. If I'm going to get what's mine in life, I'm going to have to do that for me. And so that's what you see him doing. So quickly, we see at the end of the chapter, this story, it says one day while Jacob's cooking some stew, Esau, hairy, red, hunter, skillful man, comes in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why his name's called Edom. Jacob replied, hey, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob says, swear it to me first. And so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate it, drank it, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Let me just tell you, Jacob, man, he's conniving. He's deceiving. He tricks his brother with some food. And guys, especially you students in this room, this is a whole different message I don't have time to go into. But don't, for a momentary pleasure, sell your destiny in God. Like you can jump in the party culture. You're going to see it all around you. You can jump in the hookup culture of the generation around you for cheap thrills, but you will lose out on your destiny in God. So, so don't do that. But that's what Esau did. Jacob stole it from him. And then we get this horrible next thing because he deceives him once. Now the next thing that happens is this. Dad wants some, wants some deer meat. And says, hey, you go out and get it for me, Esau. And if you do, I'm going to give you your inheritance and give you your blessing. Well, Jacob hears that. And he's like, this is my chance. And he and mama go, we're going we're gonna to pull a fast one on dad. And so they go off and they get a little goat, and they prepare it all perfectly. And then he also puts that goat hair on his arms. He like wraps himself, right? This is a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? He wraps himself in it and, and, and goes up. He's like, hey, dad, you know, and he's acting like he's Esau. And the dad's like, well, you know, is that really you? Let me feel you. And he feels goat hair. And he's like, yeah, that's my son. That's so gross. But anyway, um, He's like, yeah, that's my son. And so he, he's basically like, here's all the inheritance. Here's all the blessing. The whole time it's Jacob deceiving the dad. Esau comes in after he sat in the deer stand all day and, and got, in the, got in the buck and, and prepares it, comes in. He's like, dad, I brought you your deer. And he's like, hey, I already gave your inheritance away. And Esau's like, no, are you kidding me? Can you at least give me some kind of blessing? Listen, because dad played favorites, he didn't have another blessing, right? When you play favorites, you curse your other children. And friends, let me just say that. When you, when you are making someone your favorite so much, you're, you're hurting the rest of your friends. So guys, we need to, as believers, we need to love unconditionally, right? We need to just love people, but, but that's not what was happening here. And so Esau gets ticked, and, and listen to what he says in verse 41, because this is going to set up the rest of our story. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him, and he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. So what happens? Jacob's like, I got to run. He takes off running for his life, and basically his father's banished him. And that's where we're going to catch up the rest of of this story. So let's go to chapter 28. Turn with me to chapter 28, 
verse 10. This is where we pick up Jacob, the deceiver. He's running away so he doesn't get killed by Esau. He's been banished by his dad, and this is what happens. Jacob left Beersheba and set off for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Now, he's just like out in the middle of nowhere. Taking one of the stones there, he placed it under his head and lay down to sleep. Sounds very comfortable. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching down to heaven, and the angels of God were descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. Now listen to this. This story is not fair. This story does not make sense. Because what we know about Jacob is he's a bad dude. He's been causing problems from the very beginning. And now he's tricked his brother not once but twice. He's deceived his father. He's running away. And what happens? God shows up and meets him. Like this flies in the face of our religious mindsets, right? Because we think, you know, if I just do this for God and do this for God and this for God and this for God, then he's going to come and bless me. And what this book shows us is that God meets jacked up people in the midst of their sin. Like that God is so loving that he actually hunts down deceivers. God is so gracious that he chases after runaways, right, who have done nothing good. I mean, I I love this part, guys. It says this. I, I, I made special note of this this week. He had a dream. Can I just tell you, um, you can't influence your dreams. Have you ever tried to, right? You're like, I'm going to go to sleep and have the best dream ever. It never works, right? And, and yet in the dream, God comes to him, and what does he see? He sees a stairway going from heaven down to earth, and the angels are descending and ascending it. And at the top of that is, it says, is the Lord himself. And can I just tell you, guys, this, this, thing, this thing about going to church and being here, this is not about being a good Christian. It's about messed up people meeting a wonderful God. I love it. Jacob hadn't done anything good. He's actually done only bad, and boom, God shows up. And, and he shows the, go- the gospel. The gospel is a perfect God coming down to meet with messed up people. The Bible says it this way in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says it this way, that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by your works lest a man or woman could boast. It's the gift of God. You see the gospel here in the beginning of Genesis of of God just showing up, even though this man's done nothing to deserve it, and saying, here I am, and there's a ladder to get to me. Can I tell you that God gives the ladder, not you? Like, you don't need to feel like I'm building a ladder all my life because no one can do it. The Bible says this, that even our righteous acts are like filthy rags compared to God's righteousness. So he makes a ladder. And it says this, there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I'm the Lord the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And we think, oh, that's cool because Abraham was Father Abraham, and he was the man of faith. Have you read the story of Abraham? That guy is messed up. 
Right? And some of you were like, no, don't say that about him. Like, I always sing about him, Father Abraham, and many sons. And I'm going to march around. And no, I mean, it should have been said, like, Father Abraham was really messed up. And he was kind of, you know, sinful. And he committed adultery and gave his wife away. And let's just praise the Lord. Like, what the heck? That's why he's saying, I'm the God of your fathers. God's telling us, I'm the kind of God who's been meeting with very sinful people through the years and taking them and blessing them and transforming their lives. I'm the God of the unlikely. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples... Some of you were like, what kind of name is all peoples? I don't know if I like that name, all peoples. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I love it. Right here. Right? We're not weird. It's just in the Bible, right? All people, we are weird, but um, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Here's what I love. This is the same promise that he had given Abraham and same prom- promise that he had given Isaac. Can I just tell you, if you're, if you're joining in to this, this family here, God has promises for you. And the same promises that he, he gave your, your spiritual forefathers, he's giving to you. For example, when, when we first started this church 10 years ago, some of you guys know the story. We moved here. We didn't know anyone when we came. The first night we got here, I couldn't even find a house to live in. We've moved our, our family to a hotel on Rosecrans. We're overlooking like strip joints, and it was like shady and seedy. And I'm like, God, what are you doing with us? And as clear as I've ever heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, I felt like God said, you will get to see the greatest revival this city's ever seen. Now, I'm not saying he was saying that I would lead it or that all peoples would be where it is. Like, I just think we're going to get to be in the middle of it. But can I just tell you, when you step into the uh, people of God, you get to inherit their promises. And this is what God was saying to Jacob, the deceiver. And then he says this, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I mean, that's the best part, right? Even better than promises is God saying, I am with you. Can I, can I tell you, some of you don't think that God wants to be with you. Like you think, well, God saved me. He has to save me. He's a savior. But I don't think God actually wants to be with me moment by moment. Jacob hasn't even changed. There, there's nothing been good in him, and God wants to be with him. Why? Because Jacob was his child. Can I just tell you that the heart of a father wants to be with his children. I got to take my boys off on a hunting trip this, this past weekend, and I just love being with them the whole time. And we went to Golden Corral, and I loved watching them just, my nine-year-old just piled steak on his plate, and then they kept just putting more and more chocolate, and I'm thinking, I really should stop them, but I'm just loving watching them so much, just get so much chocolate. It's so fun for me. Can I just tell you that's how God is with you? Like some of you don't think that because you didn't have a father that wanted to be with you all the time. Can I tell you when you step into to the relationship with the living God that he's like, I want to be with you. 
wherever you go. You're walking to class. I want to be with you. You're out surfing. I want to be with you, right? You're, you're, you're going about your day. I want to be, you're, you're making the kids lunch. I want to be with you. You're driving down the road. I want to be with you. He wants to be with you and not because you're the perfect you. It's you're a messed up you, but he goes, I love you. Oh, it's so beautiful. And this is what Jacob says. And this is my prayer for many of you that today you'd say this. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. That's my prayer for every person in this room today that you'd be like, oh my goodness, God is pursuing me. God wants to be with me. And maybe you stepped into this church for the first time and you don't even know how you got here. But you're like, wow, God is here. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid. Can I just tell you, sometimes it's okay, like, but when you meet the living God, it's okay to be like, whoa, he's really big. Like, this is really exciting, but really scary at the same time. Like, do you remember the Lion King? Do you remember the Lion King? Did you see the Lion King? Like, I know that was like 70 years ago, but, um, but, but they'd, you know, they'd talk about the king and they'd say, Mufasa. And they go, ooh, say it again, right? That's, that's how it is with, with Jehovah, you know, like our God. Like, it's, he's big and you're like, ooh, whoa, say it again. That's really good, you know? How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is a gate of heaven. Early next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head. I, this really stuck out to me this week. He took the stone, because I always think about him doing this next thing, and sets up a pillar and poured oil on top of it, but I don't think of him taking the stone. You know, Jacob had nothing at this moment. He's running away, but can I just tell you, when you really meet God, you just want to give him anything you have, and so all he had was this little stone, and he said, even the little place where I'm lying my head, I just give it to you, God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to anoint it, and I'm going to make it an altar to you, Lord. And, and watch this thing. It says he called the place Bethel, which means house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Now, let me just tell you really quick about Bethel because this is an amazing principle. There was someone else that set up Bethel a couple of generations before Jacob. His name was Abraham. It's Jacob's grandfather. And Abraham's on this journey and he gets to a place and he rests and he is the one who makes Bethel the place that it is because he actually builds an altar and says, I'm gonna worship God here. And isn't it crazy that when Jacob walks through and stops in that place that that's where he had his God encounter? Why? Because his grandfather had set up a portal for God's presence. When you decide to stop and praise God and invite him into a place, you make it a portal for runaways, for deceivers, for connivers to come in and have a God encounter. So some of you are like, hey, I'm not Jacob. I'm not a runner. I'm not a deceiver. This isn't really my message. Can I just tell you that you know one? You know a deceiver, you know a conniver, maybe it's your kid. And sometimes we, as parents, need to think, I don't know what I said, but I'm glad you're laughing because I love laughter, but sometimes, sometimes we need to preach at people less and set up portal of his presence more. 
So college students, let me just tell you, it's worthwhile to just worship in your dorm room for some deceiver, conniver, sinful person who's running from God to walk in and go, what is that? And to meet Jesus. I can't tell you how many people come through our doors and say, I walked in and I felt a wave of God's presence like I've never felt. And I thought God is in this place. And it was the thing that drew them to want to meet him. I can't tell you how many people came into our house in the early days when our house was the church and people would walk in and say, what is this peace I feel? Like things feel totally different. And we said, well, we cultivate God's presence here. Can I just tell you, you can set up a portal of his presence. You can be the Abraham to set ambushes for the Jacobs in your life. Then Jacob made a vow. Whoa, wait a second. Like, just last night, he was a punk deceiver. And this morning, he's making a vow. Are you catching that, like, immediate transformation? That's why we say here, get rocked, get real, and give it away. Because we don't want you to just like have a nice little devotional life with God. We're saying no. When the living God, the Mufasa God shows up, that we get rocked and a deceiver in an instant can make it. Some of you are like, you know, I don't want to say I'm going to follow God. I don't want to say that because I'm sure I'll just fall back in it. If your heart is burning, then jump in. It's okay, you might mess up again. Actually, you will mess up again because no one's perfect, but jump. When your heart's burning, jump in with God. There's a lot of terra firma for that with messed up people saying, you know what, God's here, I'm in. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, I'm taking and I will give me the food to eat and the clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. You see, I think Jacob knew about God for years. But this is the first time he's now saying, he's my Lord. Can I tell you that this morning? Like, you get saved for free. Like, he died for you when you were a sinner. But can I tell you that some of you today, and some of you college students, you're like trying to decide what's college going to be about. You're here today because he wants to be the Lord of your life. The Lord is like the coach, the captain, the boss, the ruler. And everyone has a Lord. Is yours God? He says, he's going to be mine. And the stone that I set up will be a pillar, will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. I see a couple more things. First of all, he's saying, wherever I am, I, I, I want God to be there. Can you just decide this year, like when I'm in my car, this is God's place. When I'm in my dorm room, when I'm in my bedroom at home, when I'm in my house, this is God's place. Can I just tell you, when you really meet God and you see how good he is, you want to make a place for him. Can I say that again? When you really encounter God, in our heart grows this desire to make a place for him. Like I can't, I'd be remiss to not mention, we're getting to build a church building on the 8 Freeway. And, and I'm so excited about that. Why? Because I love God and I want him to have a place where he can come and dwell. 
So that's so exciting to get to do that. But watch what happens next. He says this, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is before the law. Like this is before God gave any law that if God truly gets a hold of your heart, then he'll get a hold of your finances too. Like, don't tell me that Jesus is the Lord of my life and you're not a giver, right? Lord, I give you my heart, but I keep my wallet with me. You know, I mean, that's not. You show me your finances and I'll show you what you love, right? And, and so here he's saying, hey, I'm immediately going to give you a tenth. God didn't, did you notice? God didn't even ask him for anything. Like when God gives of your heart, then you immediately, it's in us to just give. And I just want to tell you, start doing it before he actually is telling you you have to. So this is get rock, get real, and give it away. If you really meet with God, you start saying, God, I, I give you my home. God, I want you to have a place to dwell. God, I give you my finances. God, you will be my Lord. Let me ask you, have you made him your Lord of every aspect of your life? This is what happens when a runaway deceiver meets with God. So here's my question for you. Have you had your, your Jacob moment? Have you had your Jacob moment where you realize, I've been messed up, but God's pursuing me? I think for many people in here, this morning is the morning to just say, you know what? I release my life to you. I receive that gift, God. I, I, I haven't done anything to earn it, but I receive. You're pursuing me. You're coming after me. If that's you, you know, like you're feeling something like, gosh, I, I want to receive God. I want to know God. I want to man. Let me ask you for some of you that actually know that you've had that experience, but would you take the, the Jacob step today and say, you know what, God, I'm giving you control. And we stand up. He's the God of the unlikely, and I love him for that. Don't you love him, people? Don't you love God? He's so good. Would you close your eyes with me right now? Lord, we thank you for your word, and you just continually show yourself so much better than we could have ever imagined. It's awesome. It's awesome that we can be in the midst of our sin, and yet you love us so much. And so right now, where you are, if you're not 100% sure that you've actually let God come into your heart, that you've received Jesus, you're not 100% sure that your sins are forgiven. You see, the Bible says that our sins separate us from God. But while we were in our sins, Christ died for us. He paid the price for your sins when he died on the cross. He defeated them once and for all when he rose from the dead. And now he's offering you the gift of knowing him, the gift of him living inside of you, and the gift of ultimately going to heaven and spending eternity with him forever. You can know that when you give him your life. If you need to give Jesus your life today, everyone here in the auditorium, everyone out in overflow, if you need to give Jesus your life today, Will you just pray this in the privacy of your heart right after me? Just say these words right after me. Say, Jesus, I need you.
come into my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising for me. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I'll follow you forever.